When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today I want to switch gears a little and talk about the simplest portfolio strategies possible. Investing is a scary endeavor for many people, and rightfully so. Many people have had bad experiences in the stock market that pushed them away for good. But that doesn't have to be the case. I think the fault lies in a lot of false advertising and a lack of basic knowledge about the stock market. Perhaps the best investing strategy isn't the one that offers the highest return, but instead is the simplest to understand and follow. Most people don't strive to be average and boring. But I would argue that those are two of the best qualities of a solid investing strategy. In today's episode, I want to share with you four very simple investing strategies using various combinations of four simple and low-cost funds. Each of these strategies is very easy to understand, implement, and will let you sleep soundly not caring about what the stock market is doing every minute. Best of all, one of these strategies has historically achieved better returns than the US stock market with 11% less risk. If that sounds appealing to you, then stick around to find out more. Before we jump in here, I would just like to state that I am not recommending any of these strategies to you. I don't know your personal situation, and therefore it is up to you to decide which investing route is optimal for you. Also, past performance isn't indicative of future returns, and the analysis I am about to share with you may not necessarily play out the same way in the future. Okay, let's start by taking a quick look at the four simple funds I will use to build these four portfolios. First up, we have VTI, Vanguard's Total U.S. Stock Market Fund. This fund aims to expose investors to the entire U.S. stock market, with its 3,935 unique holdings. Basically, with this fund, you own a small fraction of nearly 4,000 publicly traded companies across the United States. The fund has an expense ratio of 3 basis points, making it one of the cheapest funds on the market. 3 basis points is equivalent to 0.03%. In layman's terms, that means for every $10,000 you have invested in VTI, you are paying $3 per year in fees. The second fund is BND, Vanguard's total U.S. bond market fund. This fund aims to expose investors to the entire U.S. bond market, with over 10,000 bonds in its portfolio. The bulk of these bonds, around 65%, are U.S. government bonds. This fund also charges a very low expense ratio of 3.5 basis points, or 0.035%. So a $10,000 investment in BND would cost you $3.5 per year. The difference between stocks and bonds is that when you purchase a stock, or rather a share of a company, you become a partial owner of that company. Stocks are also referred to as equities, because owning a piece of a company is known as having equity in that company. When you purchase a bond, you are purchasing a debt obligation from an entity. That entity can be a company, it can be the US government, or a municipality. Think about it this way. When you take out a loan to buy a car or purchase a home, you are essentially selling a debt obligation to a financial institution where you promise to repay the amount of the loan plus the agreed-upon interest in exchange for the funds that the financial institution lends you today. Bonds work on that same principle, where you or I, as an investor, borrow money to an entity and in exchange are promised repayment of the original amount plus the agreed-upon interest. These are the simple definitions of stocks and bonds, and they should suffice for the average investor, especially if your investing strategy revolves around index funds. The third fund on my list is VUG, Vanguard's Growth Fund. This fund aims to expose investors to the largest growing U.S. companies. These are companies like Apple, Amazon, and Google. 
the fund has 287 unique holdings in its portfolio. For perspective, VTI, the total U.S. stock market fund, holds almost 4,000 unique companies. And VUG, the growth fund, is a much more targeted approach, with less than 300 large and growing U.S. companies. The fund has an expense ratio of 4 basis points, or 0.04%. That's a yearly cost of $4 for every $10,000 invested. And the fourth fund is VGT, Vanguard's Information Technology Fund. This fund aims to expose investors to companies that create or cater to the technology sector. These are companies like Apple, NVIDIA, Adobe, or Salesforce. Yes, there can be a lot of overlap between this fund and VUG and VTI, but even though they may hold positions in the same companies, they each offer a specific, unique approach to the stock market. VGT has the highest expense ratio of these four funds, at 10 basis points, or 0.1%. A $10,000 investment in this fund will cost you $10 per year. Before we jump into the performance review and the four strategies, let me just do a quick recap. VTI is the total U.S. stock market fund. Stocks historically are more risky than bonds, but offer better returns over longer periods of time. BND is the total U.S. bond market fund. Bonds historically have been less risky than stocks, but have offered lower returns over longer periods of time. VUG is a growth fund. Growth stocks historically have more risk than the total U.S. stock market, but have offered better returns over longer periods of time. And VGT is a technology fund. Technology stocks historically have also been more risky than the total U.S. stock market, but have offered better returns over longer periods of time. I looked back as far as I can at the historical returns of these four funds, and my search was limited to 2008, which was the first full year of data for BND. So I will be analyzing 13 years and 8 months worth of returns. But we will be starting right in the middle of the financial crisis, which is perfect, as it can give some context as to how these four funds perform during a market crash. The best total return of these four funds came from VGT, the technology fund. Between January of 2008 and August of 2021, VGT gained 714.76%, which is a 16.59% compounded annual growth rate. The next best fund was VUG, with a total return of 456.76%, which is a 13.39% compounded annual growth rate. In third place, we have VTI, with a total return of 317.87%, which is an 11.03% compounded annual growth rate. And finally, we have BND with a total return of 68.2%, which is a 3.88% compounded annual growth rate. The funds all finished exactly as expected. The technology fund performs the best, the growth fund outpaces the total U.S. stock market, and bonds finish behind all the equity funds. The compounded annual growth rates I just mentioned are the rates of return necessary to grow an investment from its beginning balance to its ending balance. To make this simpler, here is an example. Say you invested $1,000 in VGT on January 1, 2008. On August 31, 2021, your investment would grow by 714.76%. So your original $1,000 would grow to $8,147.60. Now VGT did not have the same rate of return for each of the years during this period of time. Some years it returned less than 10%, and some it returned more than 40%. A compounded annual growth rate tells us the constant annual rate of return necessary to grow the original $1,000 into $8,147.60 over this period of time. So if you multiplied 1,000 by 16.59%, 13 and 3 quarter times, you would come to the same final balance as multiplying $1,000 by 714.76%. A compounded annual growth rate is not the same thing as an average growth rate. An average growth rate does not take the power of compounding into consideration. Therefore, I think looking at a compounded annual growth rate is more useful. 
Okay, so now that we have the historical returns for these four funds, let's take a look at their historical risk level. A popular measure of risk in the stock market is standard deviation. A standard deviation is a statistic that measures the dispersion of a dataset relative to its mean. To put it simpler in the context it is used in this example, a standard deviation takes each individual annual return and compares it to the average return for all the years. Essentially, we are trying to figure out how spread out the returns are. For any math geeks out there that like things broken down, this is how the standard deviation is computed in my example. You take each annual return, subtract the average return, and then square the result. Then you work out the average of the squared difference, and voila, you have the standard deviation. For anyone with Excel, you can use the built-in function, it is much quicker and easier. As it relates to risk, a lower standard deviation is associated with less risk, and a higher standard deviation with more risk. VGT, the best performing fund, has a standard deviation of 25.78%. VUG, the next best performing fund, has a standard deviation of 20.72%. VTI has a standard deviation of 18.26%. And BND has a standard deviation of 3.52%. So our example is unraveling as expected. The funds that carried more risk offered more return. One way to read these results is by comparing the standard deviations to each other, as I just did. Another way is to forecast the future using the past. Statistically, 68% of occurrences should fall within one standard deviation of the average. So for VGT, based on the past 13 years and 8 months, we can infer that during the next year, there is a 68% chance that the return will be between minus 6.54% and 45.01%. Obviously that is a very large range. That doesn't really give us any insight as to what we can expect next year. Additionally, it only carries a 68% statistical chance. If we wanted to increase the statistical probability to 95%, we would need to go out to two standard deviations, which looks something like this. There is a 95% chance the return for VGT next year will be between minus 32.32% and 70.79%, which is an even wider range that offers little accuracy as to what the return next year may be. If we take a look at BND instead, there is a 68% chance that BND will return between 0.32% and 7.36% next year. This range is much more manageable to work with. There is a 68% chance that you will have a positive return in the upcoming year. That return may not be great, but the likelihood it will be positive is pretty strong. Going out to two standard deviations, there is a 95% chance the return for BND next year will be between minus 3.2% and 10.87%. Also a more manageable range to work with. Based on history, there is a 95% chance BND won't lose more than 3.2% next year. Of course, these statistical probabilities are not a guarantee of anything. We could be in for a freak year next year, where the returns can be outside our statistical bounds. But what we can deduce from this example is that over a longer period of time, the variance in the returns of a less risky asset is smaller than the variance in the returns of a more risky asset. This is a key piece of information, as it allows an investor to measure and to a certain extent control the level of risk of their portfolio. Before I bore you to death with statistical probabilities, let's finally get on to the four strategies. This primer on returns and risk was necessary, because this is how I will be comparing my four strategies to the total US stock market. Okay, strategy number one is the good old 60-40 portfolio. This asset allocation was coined many decades ago as the premier allocation for a long-term portfolio, and it has historically offered very solid returns. Although more recently it has fallen out of favor, as the stock market has offered very strong returns during the past decade compared to the bond market. But let's see and judge for ourselves just how good this portfolio has or hasn't been. The 60-40 is a simple investing strategy because it revolves around one simple asset allocation. You invest 60% of your portfolio to stocks and 40% to bonds. 
That's it. This asset allocation never changes. You just rebalance your portfolio every quarter or every year and do nothing else. Let's take a look at what return a 60% VTI and 40% BND portfolio had during our test period. The total return for this portfolio was 211.27%, or an 8.66% compounded annual growth rate. Not quite as generous as the total US stock market, that returns 317.87%, or an annualized 11.03%. But also not the worst return either, 8.66% per year is nothing to be upset about. It is significantly more than any savings account during the past 13 years would have earned you. It is also significantly better than doing nothing with your money for this duration of time. Matter of fact, this rate of return would more than triple your original investment since 2008. To really compare the 60-40 portfolio to the total US stock market, we need to compare both the annualized rate of return and the standard deviation. Comparing the rates of return, we can see that the 60-40 portfolio offered 78.54% of the total US stock market return. 8.66 divided by 11.03 is 78.54%. So investors applying this strategy would have just about earned 80% of the total US stock market upside. Comparing the standard deviation, or the risk factor, we can see that the 60-40 portfolio carried 59.37% of the risk of the total US stock market. 10.84 divided by 18.26 is 59.37%. So investors who adopted the 60-40 portfolio during the last 13 years and 8 months received 78.54% of the upside return of the total US stock market while being exposed to 59.37% of the risk, or downside. There were two years during the last 13 years where both the 60-40 portfolio and VTI had negative returns. In 2008, VTI lost 36.98%, and the 60-40 portfolio lost 19.44%. With the 60-40 portfolio in 2008, an investor would have incurred only 52.58% of VTI's loss. In 2018, VTI lost 5.21%, and the 60-40 portfolio lost 3.17%. This year, the 60-40 portfolio would have incurred only 60.92% of VTI's loss. There were two more years, 2011 and 2015, where the 60-40 portfolio offered better returns than VTI. The takeaway here is that with the 60-40 portfolio, you will not beat the total US stock market over a long period of time, but you will likely incur smaller losses during bad years, making this a more defensive investing approach compared to the total US stock market. As a measure of risk versus return, If you are comfortable earning about 80% of the total US stock market return while taking on about 60% of the risk, a 60-40 portfolio may be right for you. This of course assumes history will repeat, and these results may be more accurate over a longer period of time, and not necessarily during the next year or two. Moving on to strategy number two, in what I have called the new 60-40 portfolio. This strategy and asset allocation is made up by me. Not that it may not exist somewhere out there on the internet already. The new 60-40 is still the same original split of 60% stocks and 40% bonds, except the 60% stock portion of the allocation is equally split between VUG and VTI. So the full asset allocation is 30% VUG, 30% VTI, and 40% BND. With this strategy, the portfolio takes on a little bit more additional risk, since the standard deviation for VUG is higher than the standard deviation of VTI. The difference isn't significant, with VUG's standard deviation being about 13% higher than VTI's. 20.72% minus 18.26% equals 2.46%, and this divided by 18.26% is 13.46%. Let's take a look at how the new 60-40 portfolio performed in comparison to VTI. During the last 13 years and 8 months, the new 60-40 portfolio had a total return of 242.41%, versus 317.87% for VTI and 211.27% for the original 60-40 portfolio. 
This equates to a 9.42% compounded annual growth rate, versus 11.3% for VTI, and 8.66% for the original 60-40 portfolio. So the new 60-40 portfolio gave investors about 3 quarters of a percent edge over the original 60-40 portfolio per year, and just about 31% more total return during the 13 years and 8 month period. The extra return may seem marginal, but it did mean earning an extra $300 on each $1,000 invested. Now that doesn't sound marginal to me. What I am more interested in though is how does the new 60-40 portfolio compare to VTI in terms of return and risk. The standard deviation for the new 60-40 portfolio was 11.55% versus 18.26% for VTI. The new 60-40 portfolio gave investors 85.44% of the returns of VTI while exposing them to 63.24% of the risk. That sounds pretty good to me. You give up about 15% of the upside for 37% less risk exposure. Moving on to strategy number three, the Technology 60-40 portfolio. This portfolio works on the same principle as portfolio two, except here we swap out VUG for VGT. Historically, VGT has offered higher returns than VUG while exposing investors to more risk. VGT's standard deviation was 25.78% during the time period we reviewed, versus 20.72% for VUG, that is 24.45% more risk, for 23.93% more potential return. Let's take a look at how this additional risk and return translates to the Tech 6040 portfolio. During the 13-year and 8-month period since 2008, the Tech 6040 portfolio had a total return of 287.51% versus 317.87% for VTI. On an annualized basis, that is 10.42% for the Tech 6040 portfolio versus 11.03% for VTI. Now we are getting closer to the return of VTI, with the Tech 6040 portfolio giving up about 30% in total return or 0.6% per year to VTI. Also, the Tech 6040 portfolio has an annualized return a full 1% higher than the new 6040 portfolio we covered a minute ago. That means an additional about $400 in growth on every $1,000 invested with the Tech 6040 portfolio versus the new 6040 portfolio during the last 13 years. But let's see how this portfolio relates to VTI, both in terms of total return and risk exposure. The standard deviation for the Tech 6040 portfolio is 12.72% which is about 10% more risk than the new 6040 portfolio. With the Tech 6040 portfolio, an investor would have received 94.96% of VTI's return while taking on 69.65% of the risk. This sounds even more appealing, as here you only give up about 5% of the upside, but were exposed to about 30% less risk compared to the total US stock market. Let's move on to the final strategy, and after I'll discuss them all collectively. Strategy number four is the most aggressive of the four with an 80% allocation to stocks and a 20% allocation to bonds. It utilizes all four of the funds we have looked at as well. The asset allocation for the 80-20 portfolio is 40% to VTI, 20% to VUG, 20% to VGT, and 20% to BND. Here we allocated the largest portion of our portfolio to the total US stock market that has offered strong returns with a moderate level of risk. The 20% allocations to VUG and VGT should be the drivers of alpha over VTI while exposing the portfolio to a higher level of risk, and the 20% allocation to BND will serve as a risk control asset for this portfolio. The 80-20 portfolio during the last 13 years and 8 months had a total return of 351.16% versus 317.87% for VTI. This is the only strategy to offer a better return than the total US stock market. On an annualized basis, the 80-20 portfolio has an 11.65% compounded annual growth rate versus 11.03% for VTI just about 0.6% of alpha each year. Before we get too excited here, let's compare the risk exposure for the 80-20 portfolio versus VTI. 
The 80-20 portfolio would have offered investors 105.66% of the return of VTI during the last 13 years and 8 months, while exposing them to 88.96% of the risk. Now this portfolio looks like a real winner. Not only would you have achieved a better return than the total US stock market, you would have had about 11% less risk exposure. For context, we can take a look at both the negative return years during our time period. In 2008, VTI lost 36.98%, and the 80-20 portfolio lost 29.59%. And in 2018, VTI lost 5.21%, while the 80-20 portfolio lost 2.28%. I know I may have just thrown a lot of information at you, but I hope I was able to explain this in a simple way that everyone can understand. What you can take away from this example is that by combining two or more funds, you are able to some extent better control the risk exposure of your portfolio against a measurable benchmark. In my example, the benchmark was the total US stock market. And the point of the four strategies I lined out was to reduce risk exposure while maximizing returns. Seeking a high return is just one side of the coin when it comes to investing. Controlling risk is the other, and many investors place too much emphasis on returns and not enough on risk. But as you build more experience in the stock market, you come to realize that as an investor you have significantly more control over the risk than the return. Nobody knows where the market is headed in the short term. The next market crash could be just around the corner, or it could be years away. There are no guaranteed ways of predicting such events. This is why I recommend the vast majority of investors adopt a long-term outlook for their portfolio, and that they form their ideal asset allocation, factoring in risk just as much as potential returns. If I were to repeat my analysis in another 14 years, the results will probably be different from those presented today, but I think statistically they should follow a similar pattern. A 60-40 portfolio over a longer period of time should expose investors to less downside risk and also have a smaller return than the total US stock market. What I would recommend for you to do is consider your investing horizon and use simple funds like the ones I use in my example to formulate an asset allocation that will fit your risk and return appetite. If your horizon is long, take more risk for a chance at higher returns. If your horizon is short, then perhaps it's not worth taking on more risk. The difference between getting a few extra percent of return per year can be significant over a long period of time, but over shorter periods that difference will be much smaller. What I can also recommend are target date funds. For anyone who wants a truly hands-off product that will take care of the risk and return balance for them, target date funds are automated investment vehicles that expose you to more risk when you are further away from retirement and reduce that risk as you get closer. They do cost more than the examples I outlined earlier. I think Vanguard has some of the cheapest target date funds with expense ratios between 12 and 15 basis points depending on your retirement date. That is extremely cheap, but it is 2-3 to three times more expensive than any of my four strategies. The original 60-40 portfolio has an expense ratio of 3.2 basis points. The new 60-40 costs 3.5 basis points. The tech 60-40 costs 4.8 basis points. And the 80-20 portfolio costs 4.7 basis points. Most, if not all, target date funds also expose investors to international stocks and bonds, which none of my strategies do. Also, I should disclose that for much of the past decade, the stock market has been on a pretty big bull run, with most assets achieving above average returns. The next decade may not be so kind to investors, but you have to invest your money somewhere to find out what future returns the market has to offer. With that, I will wrap it up. Thank you for joining me today. If you'd like to consume this content in a video format, you are welcome to visit my YouTube channel. Just search for Long Acres Finance on YouTube and you'll find more of me. If you'd like to reach me directly, you can do so by emailing me at longacresfinance at gmail.com. If you would like to support this channel, you can do so on Patreon and unlock the additional benefits offered there. Thank you for being here and have a wonderful day.